Hello and welcome to the Graphics Profiles, the official podcast of Graphics Pro and Graphics Pro Expo, covering the graphics market online, in print, and in person. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson. Our guest for episode 49 is Sean Tomlin, founder and owner of Designer Wraps in Pittman, New Jersey, just across the river from Philly. We talk pricing, profit, branding, the value of a mission statement that you actually use in your day-to-day work, and more. But before we get into it with Sean, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Epson. In the printing industry, you gotta check out the Epson SureColor S6600, one of Epson's most productive signage printers. This 64-inch roll-to-roll signage printer offers production-quality print speeds of up to 550 square feet per hour. It can print, laminate, and deliver the same day. The SureColor S60 was purpose-built with an automated printer maintenance system to boost productivity and minimize manual maintenance. Schedule a virtual demo and request a print sample from one of our certified solution centers at www.epson.com signage. And we're back with Sean Tomlin of Designer Wraps. Hey, Sean, it's great to have you on the podcast today. And I'm really looking forward to our discussion. And we're really going to focus on the business side of things today. And, um, you know, before we get into because I think this is an important thing to know is, is you know, just a brief history of, of your shop and how that's evolved over the years. But I want to start with your approach to getting into a new business or product line, because when I look at your website, I see you do a lot of different things and you have one that's uh, one that's not like the others necessarily, and that's um, upfitting. And that might be a good example, but either way, I just wanted to see, because you probably learned things about approaching a new business or approaching a new product line that, that have, uh, maybe you've learned from mistakes, you know, this didn't work or that works, but I just wanted to get your uh, approach to that. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. This is exciting for me. This is the first podcast I've done, actually. So thank you. Thank you. But yeah, for upfitting, um, it's just kind of one of those things we saw a need and frankly an opportunity for us to sort of upsell our customers when we when we survived COVID, you know, the reality of that hit us after the fact. And that was people couldn't get vehicles. So if they don't have vehicles to purchase, we don't have vehicles to wrap. So what we were finding were a lot more used vehicles coming in. And some of the vehicles were uh, maybe purchased from a different uh, a different contractor. You know, let's say it was a plumber and they bought it from, you know, an Amazon vehicle or something like that. So we thought, okay, well, you're buying this vehicle. You're bringing it to us to get it wrapped. Then what? Oh, we're going to mm. take it down the street to so-and-so. And they're going to put the bins in. They're going to do the ladder racks. And we're like, well, why are we just turning that business away? Uh, Most of the parts you can get easily via a wholesale account from a supplier distributor. And they're very easy to install. It's, it's cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. So as long as you can wrench the things on, you can, you can do it. Um, Of course you need the staff to be able to handle that. But so it was almost like a no brainer. Um, I'll be honest with you. The one thing we are, uh, and this is all new to us, this market. But the one thing we're we're sort of struggling with right now is marketing that service. So mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of just word of mouth. We do have it on our website. We haven't officially launched it per se on our social media or anything like that. So it's just as customers come in, we're talking to them, we're verbally, you know, letting them know this is a service we do, or we're shooting them an email if they say, "Hey, we got a new van coming in." 
great. Well, who's doing the upfit? Who's doing the ladder racks? Who's doing the bins? So it's actually working. There's a really good markup on the service for us too. So um, we're excited about, you know, launching that officially very soon and continuing to promote that as a, as a new service that we can provide so that we can kind of retain that customer for all of those types of needs. It just really, it just makes sense. They're here. The the vehicle isn't down as long. They're not, you know, picking it up and then driving it to the next place. It's three or four days here. It's three or four days there. It's all done in the same, you know, week at the same location. We started out uh, just vinyl cutting, right? So how did, how did the business evolve for you from, from doing that? Pretty simple, right? Um, well, yeah, I, I was a self-taught web designer, uh, back in the late nineties, I was working for a computer company. Uh, and after that, I, I took a couple jobs here and there as a web designer and then went off my own in 2000 doing, uh, web design and development. And I would outsource my development in, uh, Ukraine. So while doing that, I met some programmers and one of the programmers was working on a website where, a person could design their own sign online, vinyl lettering, this little tool, and then um, they could get the vinyl shipped to them. So it would be plotted and shipped to them. So I said, oh, that kind of sparked my interest. Um, So I had sold my web business, took a job for a nonprofit, and I was doing marketing and advertising for them. And in the meantime, this programmer was working on this website. And again, it, it sparked my interest. So I made him an offer and I said, hey, what would it take to uh, buy that that technology and let me launch it here in the United States? So we did that. And in 2004, 2005, I think I launched that website and got a little plotter, kind of taught myself how to do it, plotted this stuff and sent it out to people all over the country and, and grew that up, started doing the Google AdWords and not, and, and whatnot. And had a nice little home-based business. Actually, it was in my parents' garage at the time. And, you know, I would do my day job and then handle the customer service and emails and whatnot. Um, After hours, send the orders out. Eventually hired a couple of employees to help me out. And then for some crazy reason in 2006, I was like, what's this vehicle wrap thing I'm, I'm hearing about? So I had gone to some sign shows and, and saw guys wrapping cars. I'm like, man, there's nobody doing this around me. Maybe there's a market for it. So that's when I did a, um, a name search for designer wraps and thought, oh, well, that's a pretty unique name. Maybe I can trademark it and, and have a go at this. And that's what I did. So I just kind of pulled the trigger and bought a, a sign warehouse package, a Muto printer, plotter, and laminator. And moved that into my parents' garage and started printing wraps. Um, I was a self-taught designer, albeit web designer, but I kind of had a an eye for design and and just taught myself, you know, how to do it through a lot of trial and error. And mm-hmm. then um, eventually quit my day job and went full time into designer wraps about uh, 2008. So that's the short history. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so what are some of the things that you've learned over the years, uh, and implemented kind of based on both things that went wrong, failures and successes? Um, I'm a big risk taker and sometimes, sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's a bad thing. So in saying that, um, I don't think (laughs) 
or I used to not think before I acted. So mm-hmm. as in, you know, buying an apparel company or offset printing, oh, look, where's, there's a market here for this offset printing. Well, boy, was I wrong when it could just be easily outsourced. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, you know, definitely explore the opportunities of the market. I have learned that again, it's been the hard way, but it's, it's coming. So before I make a rash decision now, I like to do, you know, kind of like a SWOT analysis, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and, and just kind of, you know, see if it makes sense. And if it really fits into the, the mission and the vision of the company. And just in the past couple of years, it's, it's, for me, it's been, and, and our leadership team here, it's been a, a refocus on that. Let's start with a clean slate and, you know, let's, let's drive our purpose home. Let's figure out what our core values really are and, you know, hire and do business around those values. So that slows me down a little bit when it comes to, okay, what's the next shiny object? Because I like to go after the shiny objects in it and it, um, it's distracting. (laughs) Can you give me an example of how you tie those two together? Um, that is your mission and the decisions that you make. Well, it's most, it makes most sense when you look at our core values. So our, our, we have five core values, be a team player, Mm -hmm. driven, always do the right thing, Mm -hmm. do great work and grow yourself and others. So if we just look around those, one of the most important things we can do here is hire great people. So how do we do that? Well, we put a job posting out there, right? And then we go through the interview process and then we actively run through the core values as in, here's an example. Okay, Joe, thanks for coming in. And we talk about their skill set and whatnot, but can you give me an example of when you did the right thing? Um, What does being a team player look like to you? Are you driven? And what does that mean to you? So when it comes to, you know, hiring, then we sort of run through those core values. When we decide whether or not we want this particular customer as a customer, we, we sort of do the same thing, you know, like, are they being a team player? You know, are they always giving us pushback on this, that, or the other thing? Do they pay on time? Do they have a problem giving us a deposit? Do we really want to have them as a customer? Um, you know, when it comes to buying equipment or something, is it the right thing at the right you know time? Does it, mm-hmm. does it make sense for us right now? I like that tie in with the core values. Um, now when it comes to, cause you mentioned you kind of screen your customers the same way. Um, what have you found to be the keys for you at least, uh, for customer acquisition and retention? Well, I would say in today's market, it's, it's, you don't want to lose your current customer base. So acquisition is one thing. Retention of course is, is a whole other thing. So, We've been focusing more on retention because it's it's less expensive to uh, communicate to your existing customer base than it is to go out and try to acquire a brand new customer and all that has to go into that. Right. So we found that retention is huge. We have a really good customer base. It's solid. We communicate well with them via phone calls, emails, even texts. Um, we follow up extremely well. And I like to think of ourselves as almost a, almost a sales and customer service based company first before we're anything else. Because if you have that nailed down, then that's really going to set you apart from your competition because odds are the competitor down the street or around the corner isn't doing those things. 
Yes, they may be uh, decently priced. And yes, they may even be putting out a good or better product. But if you can't get a hold of them, if they're not following through or they're taking forever to, to get the work, you know, you wait five days for an estimate, you wait even longer for the job to be done, then it's not really, it's not really great customer service. And chances are that customer is just sooner or later going to get fed up and, and start looking for somewhere else. So for us, it's a matter of hanging on to uh, the customers that we do have and really service the heck out of them, make sure they're happy. Um, writing, you know, Google reviews for us. And like I said, just servicing them as much as we possibly can and being sincere about it. We really do love our customers. We really do. And I think we do a good job of choosing our customers. We have every right to say no to any requests that comes by, right? Uh, any walk-in that comes in or any job that we don't want to take. You know, when you can come from a position of of power, like I don't need <laughs> that job, it's a good, it's a good thing. You're in a good place to be able to do that. And your employees certainly will appreciate that because they're not going to be sort of run through the mud dealing with this customer yelling at them or um, just dealing with these projects that, you know, they'd rather not have to deal with. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Epson. Epson's 64-inch SureColor S8600 roll-to-roll solvent printer has amazing print quality. Featuring Epson's Ultra Chrome GS3 9-color solvent ink, including orange and red, the SureColor S80 delivers up to 98% Pantone coverage and has the option to switch between white or metallic silver inks. Combine that with the new Precision Media Feeding System in a high-performance dual-array Precision Core TFP print head. The SureColor S80 is an incredibly productive and reliable signage printer. Learn more about the full line of Epson signage printers or request a virtual demo at www.epson.com signage. I'm here with Sean Tomlin of Designer Wraps. So obviously uh, branding is super important to you. And so I'm interested in how you look at branding. What is your perspective on it and, and how do you implement that in your business? Yeah. Branding is extremely important to us. It's, it's, it's sort of who we are and what we do design is in our name. And then with that, obviously a, a good brand. And uh, I realized that just a couple of years ago, I wasn't really happy with some of the, we were, we wanted to sort of rename and or re rebrand our business. Um, for many years since I started, it was, it was catered towards a lot of the race car liveries and, and color change sort of work, the high end exotic cars. Mm -hmm. And our logo kind of reflected that it was edgy. It was almost a graffiti style. And I just felt like, okay, it's time to really grow up. You know, we had sort of our teenage years and it did well for us. It, it put us on the map. Um, we won some rap like a King contest with Avery or at SEMA and all that stuff was cool. But at the end of the day, you know, to look at it, to take a step back and, and begin to work on the business instead of in the business, I realized that I wasn't making the right, um, business decisions. And I felt like we could be much more profitable if we started focusing more on commercial. So that led me to, okay, it's time to rename and rebrand our company. So uh, Dan Antonelli is a good friend of mine and mm -hmm. always have admired him and, and love his work. So I reached out to Dan and say, 
said, hey, I think I'm ready to do this for real now. And I want to hire you to rebrand the company. So we did that. We spent a lot of money with Dan. He's he's um, not cheap, but he's worth every penny and all his entire team. Mm-hmm. So they came up with some options for us. Um, the logo that we have today with the D is the one we landed on. Right. I love it. I think it's a grown up version of who we are and it re- represents us well. And now it's just a matter of plastering it everywhere. So we're we're currently working on some new collateral pieces, um, you know, for the sales portion of things. It's on all of our vehicles. It's on the website. And it helps us also communicate that to our customers. You know, a lot of times people come to us and and they don't either have a brand or, you know, they have a logo, but they want, you know, 13 different bullet points on the side of their van and eight telephone numbers and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And it helps us show them that you don't need all of that stuff. You know, branding is called branding because, you know, when I say Nike, you know, you know, the the swoosh symbol, right. uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi. So you're not going to get that if your vehicle is plastered with pictures and and paragraphs and all that. So for us, it's it's important to show how simple a brand can and should be and show real world examples to our customers on, you know, what we think they should be doing. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that if our brand doesn't do that as well. Yeah. It's a show and tell, right? Exactly. An important part of the educational process for your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, operations for a minute here. Um, are there ways that you can cut costs and not affect quality? You know, that's, it's a big, it's really a, a question about efficiency and, finding best ways to do things without cutting the quality because that, that could happen sometimes. You know, um, my favorite example is you go to the restaurant that was fantastic at one time and then you start to find everything's more expensive, but you know, they're cutting corners and the food's not as good as it used to be. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. I'm talking about the opposite. Let's, let's, yeah. let's get our prices higher, but let's also make sure quality's there. But how can we cut costs so that our bottom line is a lot better? That's a really good question. Um, I think I'm not alone in saying that, you know, with inflation and gas price and all that stuff that uh, we've constantly been increasing our pricing. So we increased our labor rates. We obviously check costs um, pretty much weekly, if not daily on many things on what we're buying to make sure that we're priced properly. And, you know, just slight increases. We had a big increase um, at the beginning of last year. And now it's been incremental just based on what the distributors are, are, are letting us know is happening. But aside from that, it's, okay, what else can we cut? What else can we cut? Do we really need that piece of equipment? Or, you know, if we pay that loan off early on the equipment, what are we going to save in interest? Can we negotiate better pricing with our vendors? The answer is Yes. 99% of the time, even if it's, you know, two and a half percent, that's, that's a, that's a saving and, you know, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, um, negotiate insurance costs, um, shop the, you know, shop the rates. Uh, there's certainly a lot that you can do that will not reflect the, um, the quality of the product in the end. Right. And what about from a workflow standpoint and workflow efficiency? And making sure you're getting the most out of your equipment, your people, et cetera, et cetera. Do you do you have kind of a, I don't know, a, 
some people have maybe kind of an automated workflow where, you know, it's kind of driven by, um, you know, some software that they might have that says, you know, step one here, step two there. We kind of do. Yeah. It's, we use Shopbox for some of that. We kind of use a combination of Shopbox and, and the Google calendar. It works well for us. Okay. Uh, and the guys, you know, are all users in there. So they know once a job is sold and the work order is created, boom, it automatically sends them a notification and they do their thing. And then when they're finished their thing, it moves to the next stage. Um, and everything is laid out, you know, at least a week ahead of time, if not more, depending on how busy we are. And, you know, we're small enough to where everybody knows their role and everybody knows what to do. So we don't have to micromanage people. And you don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, and related to cost and bottom line is obviously pricing. And so what is your approach to pricing? Uh, make sh making sure we build enough profit into the into the job. And when we're raising our, our pricing to an existing customer or a customer that's been with us for many, many years, it can get tricky. But I would say that, you know, coming out of COVID and inflation, it's really made that that conversation or that process a lot easier. You know, whereas before when we've raised prices, they're like, well, why are you raising it? Why is it, you know, $200 more than it was last year or whatever? Now people don't, they'll question it, but they understand so from that point of view, it does, it has made things easier when, when we need to do some of these increases. And frankly, we just want to be more profitable. So, you know, we're not doing crazy increases, but we're making sure all of our costs are covered, of course. And mm -hmm. we are certainly building in um, the profit that we want to make. Uh, what have you learned to be the most important thing to keep in mind as far as ensuring profitability? Uh, making sure that when we're running the numbers, so let's say it's a vehicle and, and we're looking at, okay, it's going to take this long to design it. And we know the square footage of it. So there are the two starting, starting points right there. So when we have that as an estimate, we basically have a, a spreadsheet that has all of the jobs we've ever done. So it's got the square footage, how long it took the designer to design it, how long for it to go through production, and then how long for it to be installed. Um, so we, we have a really good gauge on how long jobs, you know, are in, are in the shop and how long they take. So we can kind of make sure our pricing is, is dead on whenever we're off, if we're lower on the estimate and on the square footage side or, or labor side, then obviously that will affect our, our profitability. So if there's ever a mistake, you know, something gets ripped in the laminator or there's dirt in there or there's a head strike or the installer ripped a panel or something like that, um, that's where it begins to hurt. So we want to build enough padding in there for a mistake. And 95% of the times uh, there isn't one, which is great. But if there's a little bit of padding in there, when one does happen, unless it's an entire job, then, okay, we're eating that. Unfortunately, let's learn a lesson and not do that again. Mm, yeah. Then we'll be, we'll be profitable. We'll be okay. And even more because you're not making the mistake. So that's great. Exactly. Well, you know what the music means. Our time is up. Okay. But I really appreciate, again, your time, Sean. And, um, you know, look forward to talking to you in the future. And seeing your work in graphics pro as well thank you very much reagan i appreciate the opportunity and thanks again to our guest sean tomlin and to our sponsor epson 
Go see Designer Raps at, ironically enough, designerraps.com and Epson at epson.com forward slash signage. Also, tap into all the perspectives, education tips, tricks, news, videos, etc., etc., all focused on your business and connecting you to experts in the field at graphics-pro.com. And for regional events dedicated to your business, go to graphics-pro-expo.com. The first Graphics Pro Expo is coming right up in Irving, Texas, March 9th through 10th. The classes start March 8th, by the way. And when you're there, look me up, please. We'd love to see you there and chat it up a bit. Anyway, you can subscribe to this podcast and check out all the archives at your favorite platform. Your choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. You can also browse the archives at graphics-pro.com. Hey, thanks for listening, and until next time, adios amigos.